You may recall that last week we learned about a man who showed tremendous generosity by selling some property and donating all the proceeds to the work of the church. He laid them at the feet of the apostles to be used in the church. That man's name, his nickname was Barnabas. And I told you we'll hear more about Barnabas, not today, but we will in the coming weeks. Well, today we're going to learn about a man and his wife who sold some property and donated part of the proceeds to the church, and they ended up dropping dead. But what happened? What's the difference between Barnabas and these other two? Well, that's what we're going to learn in today's passage in a sermon called Shock and Awe in the Early Church. Before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer because we desperately need him to speak to us this morning. So join me now in prayer. God, we do ask specifically now as we open your word that your Holy Spirit would speak to us miraculously. Show us more about yourself, your ways for your church. Show us more about ourselves, Lord, where we need to repent, where we need to be encouraged, strengthened. God, just speak to us. We, we desperately need you. We ask that you open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we may see you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's passage is taken from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. So I'm going to read the entire passage. It's a little bit long, but I'll read the entire passage, and then we'll walk through it in today's sermon. So look again, Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? After it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on all the whole church and on all who heard these things. Many signs and wonders were, done, were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one, dared to, no one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, 
and they were all healed. Well, this is our passage for today. And obviously, this is a fascinating story from the Bible. By the way, a true story from the Bible. And so we want to look at this. And in the weeks and the months and the years that the first early church began, the church in Jerusalem, we see a lot of shocking and a lot of awesome events take place. And the one we're learning about today is certainly one of those events. So what's going on? Well, I want to walk through the story by pointing to two foundational truths about the relationship between God and his church. So just two points in today's sermon. First, God expects purity in his church. God expects purity in his church. If you're taking notes, you'll find that inside the bulletin. If you want to write that in there, you can write it down somewhere else or just listen along, however you'd like to do that. Well, that's the first point. God expects purity in his church. Plain and simple, the Lord doesn't mess around when it comes to how much he loves his church. God loves the church. The church is called, in the Bible, the bride of Christ. The church is called the body of Christ. The church is called the temple of God and, and so much more. The church is important to God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You see, Jesus gave himself for the church because Jesus loves the church. The church is utterly important to God, and he wants his church to be pure. He doesn't want the church to be tainted by sin, deceived by false teachers, lied to by liars, or taken advantage of by scoundrels. So we see in this passage that when someone seeks to deceive the church, God takes action. So we see what happened to Ananias when he tried to deceive the church and its leaders. We see in verse 5, when, we, when he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. Then we see what happened to his wife, Sapphira, when she also lied to the church and its leaders. We see in verse 10, it says, instantly she dropped dead at his feet. So what resulted in these two lying to the church was that they dropped dead. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we think God's serious about the purity of his church? We better believe it, right? He's serious. I mean, this is, this is a shocking moment. And you see, Peter points out a few different things. We, we, I've said a few times, actually, that, that these people lied to God's church, but Peter points out there's really more to it than that. He says they were not only lying to the church, they were also lying to God. He says in verse 3, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You see, rather than being filled with the Holy Spirit, Ananias and Sapphira were filled with lies from Satan. Isn't that, I mean, it's incredible when you think about that. Uh, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. But they were filled with an evil spirit, with a spirit of lies from Satan himself. And we see again in verse 4, Peter says, Why is it that you have planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. By the way, if, if you ever are curious about learning more about the Trinity, this is a very important passage that shows that the Holy Spirit is God. 
Peter says in verse 3, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 4, you've not lied to people, but to God. So, by the way, if you, that's a little extra, something for free there that you see there in this passage regarding the Trinitarian Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. But we see that lying to the church, according to the Apostle Peter, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, included in the book of Acts, is lying to God. God expects purity in His church. This desire that God expects purity in the church has great implications for us, doesn't it? This evidence that lying to the church is the same as lying to God has great implications for us, doesn't it? And when we sin against the church, we sin against God. The church is God's, and He loves the church. And some people might be thinking, well, you're just saying that because you're the pastor. Well, please tell me if this is not what you're reading in the Word of God. If you're reading the Bible differently than me, please let me know. When we gossip about the church or its leaders, we are gossiping about what is God's. When we dishonor the leaders of the church, we are dishonoring God. As pastors and leaders, when we are irresponsible and the way we lead the church, we are irresponsible towards God. When we as church members neglect the church, we are neglecting God. When we are not generous towards the church, we are not generous towards God. When we decide not to use our gifts and talents for the church, we are deciding not to use our gifts and talents for God. And as we see in this passage, when we sin against the church, we are sinning against God. God desires his church to be free from sin and to be pure. Now some of us may look at this passage and think, well, what's the big deal? After all, it appears that Ananias and Sapphira did give a lot of money to the church, even if they didn't give all of it to the church. By the way, if you have a pair of cats and you're looking for names, I think those are great names. Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know why, that just came to me. I don't think that's from the Lord, that's from me. But I like those names for cats. But you see, you might think on a practical level, wait a minute, these people gave a lot of money. And they did. I can tell you, as a pastor, I would be glad if you sold a property and gave most of it to the church. We would be delighted. Okay? So what's going on? Well, we can, we can gather from the context surrounding these verses that it seems that Ananias and Sapphira were giving the impression that they were giving all of the proceeds to the church. So the issue wasn't that they gave 80% or 90% or 75% instead of 100%. That's not the issue. The issue is the impression that they were giving all of it to the church. In fact, we see when, when uh, Peter asked, is this the price that you sold it for? And Sapphira says, yes, it is. So they had planned, they had coordinated together as husband and wife to lie to the church of the holy God. And that's the issue at hand. It, it wasn't about the money. The issue was their sinful, deceitful hearts. Let me just tell you something in case you don't already know this. God doesn't need your money. But God wants your heart. He doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. Jesus spoke to this issue in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
God wants your heart. He wants your devotion. And when our hearts are filled with evil and we begin to bring impurity into the church, we better believe God is not pleased. Now you may also have another thought. You may think, well, why aren't people dying today when they bring impurity into the church? Well, I have a question for you. How do you know that's not happening? How do you know that's not happening? People die all the time. Now, I want to be clear. I want to be very clear. I'm not saying everyone who dies dies for such reasons. That's not what I'm saying. Some of the godliest people I know, I've done their funerals, and it breaks my heart to see them pass away. That's not what I'm saying. But maybe some have died for sinning against the church of Jesus Christ. Obviously, not everyone falls over dead on the spot when they bring sin into the church, but maybe it happens at times. What's more, maybe the Lord caused it to happen in the manner he did in Acts chapter 5 because he was doing something specific among those people at that time. We're not in a place where we understand why the Lord does everything the way he does it and when he does it. That's not our business. We don't know all there is to know about the will of God, the ways of God, and the timing of God. But we do know this. God is serious about his church. And he expects purity in his church. That's the first thing we learn about God's relationship with the church. The second thing we learn about God's relationship with the church is that God exudes power through his church. God exudes power through his church. Now, I'm well aware we don't use that word every day, exudes, but it starts with an E, so I had to use it. The word exude means to display strongly and openly. He's showing something, that's the... By the way, if you look up in the dictionary, that's like the second definition. The first one doesn't quite fit. But he shows powerfully and openly what he's doing through his church. He shows himself. He shows power through his church. Notice how the church responded to all that happened in this passage. In fact, verse 11 is probably an understatement. It says, Then great fear came on the whole church and all those who heard these things. You, you better believe it. You got people falling over dead. You better believe great fear came upon the church. And I can imagine people were saying such things as, did you hear about that? Even those that weren't there. I can imagine they said things like, are you serious? I can also imagine on a practical note, they had a really good offering that Sunday. (laughs) You see, the reality is that what happened left no doubt that there really is a God And he really is serious about his church. I mean, if you were there that day, you would know there really is a God, he really is serious about his church, and he really is powerful. And that was seen among the people there in Jerusalem that day. By the way, that fear came upon the people in the early church. This was a healthy, good fear, by the way. You see, the fear of God is not a fear that is based on a feeling that God is some monster who wants to hurt us. Rather, the fear of God is based on an awareness of the greatness and the holiness and the power of God. The Bible tells us very clearly that the fear of God is a good thing. There was probably a sense for those who were not part of the church 
by the way. Well, let's get that in a minute. Proverbs chapter 9, I want to read this. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, the fear of the Lord is a good thing for us to understand who God is and who we are in relationship to Him. So, as shocking as this moment was, it was a moment for the church to realize and recognize the awesomeness of God. We also see that people outside of the church reacted to this event. We see in verse 13, it says, No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. You see, there was probably a sense for those outside of the church that they wanted to keep their distance. After all, people are dropping dead. People with sin in their hearts. And surely, some of those outside the church had sin in their hearts. And they're thinking, whoa, I knew Ananias. He was my buddy. And you see what happened to him? I'm not sure I want to get too close right now. And that probably was a good thing in some regards. But we also see that the outsiders could not, rec- could not help but recognize that God was at work in his church. And Luke, the author of Acts, says that they spoke well of the church. They may say, I don't, I don't want to be there right now because some crazy stuff's going on, but those people are, are good people, and God seems to be at work amongst them. We see power in the fact that God made himself known. He made himself known through what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. He was exuding power through his church. Additionally, we see God exuding power through Continued signs and wonders happening through the church. We see in verse 12, it says, Many signs and wonders were being done, done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. Now you may remember Solomon's colonnade, also called Solomon's portico, or my favorite, Solomon's porch. Okay, You may remember the picture we had a few weeks ago of Solomon's porch there. Um, it was a gathering. It's a nice porch, by the way. I wish I had a porch like that. But a colonnade's probably a more appropriate term. But it is genuinely called Solomon's Porch at times. Um, so this was a gathering area in the temple complex where many people would gather at different times. It was sort of like, you know, like maybe a gazebo in a park. You get there and you gather together, first come, first serve type situation. And the apostles and the early church would gather there and do teaching and things like that. And we see here in Acts chapter 5 that they are gathering together in this temple complex under the leadership of the apostles, and God was doing powerful things through them. And we see the result of the power that is exuded through the church. You know, we just read in verse 13 the outsiders dare not approach them or be a part of them, but we also see in verse 14 that believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers. Listen carefully, it says, multitudes, multitudes. This is not one or two people. It's not one or two dozen people. Multitudes of both men and women are being added to the church among those in Jerusalem. And then verse 15 tells us that there was so much recognition of the power of God among the early church that people would even seek to be exposed to Peter's shadow so that they might gain some of his power or or be blessed by some of his power. By the way, I think it's helpful to point out there's no evidence that Peter's shadow actually brought healing. 
Maybe it did, but there's no, it does, Luke doesn't say that it actually does. Rather, what Luke is telling us is that people had such respect and honor for what God was doing through the apostles that they just wanted to get close to the apostles, particularly to Peter, because we see Peter's kind of the spokesman at this point. That will change later, by the way, to James. But for now, it's Peter, and we see they're trying to get close to him just to even have his shadow exposed to him, because, exposed to them because they respect what God is doing through them to that degree. So we see in verse 14 that multitudes from Jerusalem were coming to them, and then we see in verse 16 that other multitudes would come from all around outside of Jerusalem to experience the power of God that was exuded through the early church. Doesn't this sound very similar to the ministry of Jesus, right? That he started among the people in Israel, and then people from all around would, would come and experience the power of Jesus. And we see that there is still power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, even after he descended into heaven to be with the Father. As he said in himself in verse 8 of chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Church, I also believe that if we truly get in touch with the Holy Spirit of God, he will do something through us that people will want to experience. I really believe that. I really believe that if we love powerfully, if we give powerfully, if we pray powerfully, if we forgive powerfully, if we serve others powerfully, if we stand for truth powerfully, if we are united together as a family powerfully, if we are humble together powerfully, the people around here will say something is happening over there at First Baptist Church Bartow, and I want to check it out. I really believe that. I really believe people cannot help but deny the power, or cannot help to not deny the power of the Holy Spirit. When God displays power through his church, people will want to see what's happening. And God exuded power through his church then, and he can do so through his church now. Let this bottom line summarize what we're learning today. Bottom line, God has something special for his church. God has something special for his church. We've got to ask ourselves, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? I've said this before, and I, I, don't, I never mean this to be discouraging. But if the Holy Spirit's not really powerful, then we ought not to be here today. We ought to sleep in, wake up, and go get some pancakes and bacon together instead of doing this. If Jesus did not really rise from the dead, if the Holy Spirit does not really have an awesome plan for this church, we ought not be here. There are better things to do. As much as I love you all, there are better things to do. But we believe Jesus really rose from the dead. We believe we really are his body. And we believe the Holy Spirit will really do something powerful through us if we trust and follow him. If this passage should teach us anything, it should teach us not to mess around with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ.
that goes for your pastors and everyone in this room. This applies to all of us. God has something special for us. And this little phrase came to mind this week for me. Let's not get in the way. Let's get on board. I should have made that point number three, but I didn't. Ananias and Sapphira got in the way. We saw what happened. The reality is, that may not happen to you. I can tell you from experience, it doesn't seem like it normally happens that way. I've seen people sin against the church multiple times, and they didn't drop dead, and we didn't have to carry them out. Not to say it won't happen. Who am I to play the role of God? It's not my place. But I do know this. You don't want to be in the way of what God's doing. You want to get on board. So let's not get in the way. Let's get on board. I have two weekly challenges for you this week that are for all of us, myself included. Weekly challenge number one, how you can actually live out this passage. Ask God to give you a heart for the church like his heart for the church. Ask God to give you a heart for the church like his heart for the church. The reality is, most of us are a long way from that, from having a heart for the church like God has for the church. But the Bible speaks of this idea of us becoming progressively holy more and more each day. And so maybe it's just a little bit each day that God moves you closer to his heart for the church. Because none of us are God. We're not going to be like God in that way. But give, ask him to give you a heart that's more like his heart for the church each and every day. Make that your prayer this week, perhaps beyond this week, each day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Say, God, would you make my heart a little more like your heart for the church today? You see what he does over seven days. Perhaps you'll want to go beyond that. That would be awesome. But challenge yourself this week to ask God to give you a heart for his church. Weekly challenge number two, ask yourself how you can be a witness to the power of God. Ask yourself how you can be a witness to the power of God. The entire church, as we read in the, in the later part of that passage, after Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead, we see that, that the power of God was continuing to be shown through signs and wonders and other ways through the church. Ask yourself, how can I be? Challenge yourself to think, how can I be a witness to the power of God this week in my life? What can I do? What can I say? How can I pray? Who can I talk to? Who can I love? Who can I invite? Who can I share the gospel with? How can I give? How can I forgive? Whatever it might be, how can I be a witness to the power of God this week? You know, for some of us, one of the greatest ways, and I don't mean to say this for all of us, but for some of us, one of the greatest ways we can show the power of God in our lives is to make something right that we've done wrong. Because I will tell you, most people are not good at making things right. We live in a world where people pass the blame onto somebody else, where people don't know how to apologize, where people try to wiggle out of things. Perhaps one of the greatest ways you can show that the power of God is real in your life is by simply saying to somebody, I'm sorry. That may not be true for all of us. I just felt led to say that. For some of us, you might simply say to somebody, I want you to know God loves you and you are valuable and he has a plan for your life. I don't mean to do this challenge for you. It's your challenge and my challenge personally. I'm just trying to give you some ideas to help you think what this might look like.
So challenge yourself this week to be a witness to the power of God. The church that we're learning about today displayed the power of God. So we must ask ourselves, what about us? You must ask yourself, what about me? How can I be a witness to the power of God? Don't be content to just be a church person. Be a witness to the power of God. For those of us who are in Christ, this should encourage us that God has great things for us. On some level, for many of us, it should convict us to say, what have I been doing all this time? But the reality is, there may be someone in this room, this might even confuse you. You might say, what is wrong with these people? (laughs) This is some radical stuff. And it is. But the reality is, when, when Jesus changes your life, it changes everything. It should change everything. And so those of us who are in Christ, we have new affections, new loves in our lives. We turn away from things that once seemed desirable to us and we turn towards jesus and we say i want to be more like not only like jesus but like the plans and the person jesus has for me to be and we're discovering that man we're not perfect if you if you've been here this morning it's your first time here and you think man everything's gone really well just hang around for a little bit something will go wrong okay i promise you we're not perfect but we serve a perfect god and he is making us more and more to the people he wants us to be. And he will change your life. He really will. He will change everything about you. He'll give you a new heart so that what you once desired, which was less than what God has planned for you, you won't desire those things as much anymore. It's still a struggle. I don't, I don't mean to say it's perfect. It's still a struggle. But your heart will begin to change and your mind will begin to change and your life will begin to change. You see, the Bible says that God created us to know him, to be in relationship with him, to have communion with him in terms of a a oneness with him. But all of us rejected God and his ways. We did what we wanted to do. Most of us are really good at wanting to do what we want to do. That's our natural state as sinners. And the Bible says when we reject God's ways and we do our own thing instead, that's called sin. When we reject his laws, when we reject his love, when we reject his design for us, it's called sin. And the Bible says all of us have sinned. In case you're wondering, have I actually sinned? First of all, the answer is yes. But second of all, to sin means anything less than perfect. Because God is perfect and he designed us to be perfect. I say that's a really high standard. It is. In fact, the Bible says none of us can meet that standard on our own. None of us. The Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. That's a pretty high standard. And the Bible says when we miss that standard, when we sin, the consequences, the payment, the wages of that is death and separation from God and punishment, horrific punishment, which we can't even imagine. That's what we deserve for our sin. That's a pretty bad consequence. It is. The Bible also says God knew we couldn't fix that problem. So he sent 
Jesus Christ, his son, as a human being, to come to the earth. He was not only, he is not only God, but he also became a human to live amongst us, to meet that really high standard perfectly, and then to pay that really bad penalty by dying on the cross, not deserving death. He died as a criminal, but he never committed any crime. And he willingly did so so that we could have our sins forgiven. And you might think, that's a really deep love. And it is. The Bible says Jesus didn't stay dead, that he rose from the dead, as was prophesied, as was predicted. He showed that he had power over Satan. He had power over sin. He had power over death. He appeared to people. We read about that in the beginning of the book of Acts. He appeared to people. He spoke to his apostles. He spoke to all the disciples who were gathered there together. And then he ascended or he went up into heaven to be with God the Father once again. And as he went, he said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. And he unleashed the church, which is the name of the series, The Church Unleashed. And the Bible says Jesus can change you. And he is doing a fantastic work through his church, through his people. And he's calling us to turn from sin and turn to him. And this morning, if you need to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ, you can be made new right now. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved from your sin. You'll be saved from yourself. You'll be saved from the curse of evil. You'll be saved from the kingdom of darkness. You'll be given a new heart. You'll be given forgiveness. You'll be set into the kingdom of light. And the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Peter, you'll receive an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. You'll receive a home in heaven. You'll receive an adoption certificate as a child of God. So if you need to receive Jesus Christ, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response, the perfectly fitting song for this morning, I Surrender All. If you are without Jesus, surrender all to him. Give everything you have to him. Confess your sins and ask him to make you new. Commit your life to him. Jesus said very simply to the very first disciples he called, he said very simply, follow me. You know what Jesus is saying to disciples today? Follow me. Follow Jesus. Be made new. For those of us who are already followers of Jesus, may we surrender all. May we long for that power and that intimacy that we saw in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, and all throughout the book of Acts, may we surrender all to Jesus. If you need to talk to a pastor, we'll be around after the service. We're around all the time. Uh, we're available by phone, email, letter, whatever. But we're also going to be available as we sing. We want to encourage you to come even as we sing. Respond to how the Holy Spirit is moving in your life. Come tap one of us on the shoulder. Just say, I need to talk to you about how, to, how I can know Jesus. Or I need you to pray for me or I need a question answered, or I need some encouragement in some way. However, you might say, I have some sin I need, to, I need to talk to the Lord about. Can you just tell me how to do that? We would love to help you however we can. God is good, and if he's doing something in your life, be obedient and responsive to his goodness and his love. Join me now in prayer as we prepare to sing.